Welcome to HBTV. I'm Harry Binswanger, the HB in HBTV. I'm a philosopher who advocates Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism. Today is Ask Harry Anything Day continued. We have a bunch of questions of uh, requiring varying degrees of answer. The first one is fairly quick. In a recent ARC UK podcast on Montessori education, it was stated that Ayn Rand referred to Montessori's curriculum as genius, a word one can imagine she did not use lightly. Did Rand refer to any other people aside from Aristotle as a genius? The there's a difference between saying this is a work of genius and this person is a genius. Maybe not a lot of difference because you can't really rise above your level. So it's just that the word is used um, more lightly. You say a word she did not use lightly. She did not use it in regard to people lightly. And I never heard her refer to anyone is a genius, uh, except she referred to someone as a budding genius. Unfortunately, that budding genius never flowered. So I never heard her re refer to anyone as a genius, but I'm sure she thought Aristotle was a genius. Whether she thought Montessori was a genius or just the curriculum was a work of genius, I don't know. So uh, yes, the word for a person, she did not use lightly, and uh, I can't think of another example. So that was quick. Unfortunately, it's unsatisfying, I'm sure, but let's go on to the next question. First time question, ask her at ARCUK. Have you seen the UFO videos released by the Pentagon? These are real UFO videos captured by military equipment. And what's your opinion on aliens? Uh, I looked it up. No, I, I had heard about a buzz about it a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago. I looked it up on the web, and all I could find were very uninteresting, unexciting, not convincing uh, spots of light moving three, two, and then three spots of light, uh, which could be produced by anything. So the report of the Pentagon was there's no reason to believe any of these sightings are due to alien beings. And yes, I do have an opinion on aliens. I'm for them if they're from this planet. I'm in favor of open immigration, completely open immigration, but that's not your question. What do I think about extraterrestrial beings visiting Earth? Well, there's a big contradiction in the view of most of the people, at least, the only ones I've heard of, and most of the theories of you know, who believe in extraterrestrial visitations. On the one hand, these uh, beings are 
super advanced. They have means of propulsion that can take them presumably faster than the speed of light if they're from uh, anywhere beyond the nearest star, which is um, four light years away. Uh, but even so, whatever they've got, these, quote, flying saucers are amazingly advanced technology, and they have supposedly visited us. On the other hand, this has been going, these sightings have been going on since shortly after World War II. I did a report on UFOs in high school. I graduated from high school in 1961. I think I did this in 1959. Project Blue Book was the uh, military uh, investigation. And it's, uh, it's not just one book. I read several books, several articles. I researched it, and I was a science fiction type. I wanted to believe, but I couldn't. All they had was, well, there's this always is 2% that we can't explain. Well, why would you expect to explain 100%? Anyway, so here's the contradiction. These are super smart, super advanced scientifically beings way ahead of us. And yet they can't figure out a way to contact us. They have to abduct people and open them up. And there's, oh, look at that. So their, their behavior that's postulated is lower than Donald Trump's. They're more, they're more ignorant and anti-conceptual than he is. They don't, you know, make an effort to contact our leaders and tell us what they're doing here. They don't make an effort to avoid being photographed by military planes and, and common people who have these supposed videos. They keep abducting people to open them up or stare at them inside their flying saucers. So if there were a super intelligent, super advanced anyway, maybe they're no more intelligent, super advanced species out there that contacted us, uh, this was, <laughs> they would do a lot more uh, intelligent things than that. Now, the, the only thing that's stupider than that, the, the view that these are, are uh, Dr. Spocks who can't figure anything to do other than buzz and, and abduct, the only thing possibly stupid, stupider than that is the idea uh, that the reason why they can't tell us that, you know, Hangar 51 or whatever it is that they found an alien, and the reason they can't break the news is, uh, to humanity, and they've had to keep it secret for these 80 years, is people would panic. I know if I thought that there was a super, I'm sure you're the same way. If I thought their flying saucers were real and there were an advanced civilization out there we could contact, I would 
go screaming out of the room, pulling my hair, looking for a gun to start shooting random people. What, what is this nonsense that people would panic? Yeah, it would cause a big stir. It would be one of the biggest events in human history. But what, what is it that's supposed to happen exactly when people find this out? And uh, I sure hope that there, we meet some other civilization for so many reasons. First of all, their philosophy could teach us to presumably to, to revere reason and they would uh, come announcing Atlas Shrugged is the book you should read. But also the scientific knowledge, the cure of all diseases and the uh, defeat of aging, rejuvenation, which I think we'll get to in not, not too long from now. I hope I live that long. Uh, so that what they could tell us, what we could learn from them would be transformative. So I, I wish it were real, but I don't see any reason to accept it. So I think it's um, stick to aliens trying to immigrate into the United States and welcome them before you worry about whether there are any space aliens. What next question? What do you th make of the rise of anti-Semitism? I find it really shocking. Collectivists seem to have a special place in their hearts for Jews. Yes, and you know why that is? Because they believe that capitalistic acts are evil because they don't believe in work be like the lilies of the field, they neither, neither spin nor toil or sow nor spin, whatever that is from the Sermon on the Mount. They don't believe in charging interest. That's why Jews got this reputation for being money grubbing because they were the only ones who were allowed to do banking. Christian, dogma is that it's wrong to charge interest on money, making money on money. Money is evil. The love of money is evil. Jesus threw the money changers out of the temple. Well, the Jews didn't have that animus against money. They didn't have that animus against interest. So they were the money lenders. And as such, they were considered evil. So I think uh, your own book wrote uh, your own Brooke wrote an excellent article on this, on the Jews and money lending, the history of anti-Semitism. I think another reason is that the Jewish religion, although it's really based on faith, doesn't stress faith the way that the Christian religion does. It doesn't uh, say it's wrong to question. Just believe, don't think, just believe. Open your heart, don't trust your intellect. Jews generally have been very pro-intellect. The Talmudic scholars, the rabbis who argue and comment, they wrangle. Uh, it's been said if you've got three Jews in a room, you have five opinions. And I speak as someone raised Jewish. 
So, you know, ethnically, biologically, I'm Jewish, but like Ayn Rand, she, who was also raised Jewish, she said, the only time I'm Jewish is when there's anti-Semitism. So I, I am not a Jewish by belief or, or any of those traditions and so forth. Well, maybe corned beef. But it's the Jewish religion is a, a more this worldly religion. It's not as anti-money. And it's not shut your mind and just obey and believe. Christ will save you. Open your heart to there's nothing like that in Judaism. It's study the Torah, study the Talmud. The child who is a scholar is revered. And the this the child who's a doctor, of course, and, and a lawyer are revered because they're intellectual professions. So because the Jewish religion is better, it's a target. Anything that's good is a target for that which is evil. Anything that's better, even a little better, is a target for that which is worse. So there's envy bound up in it, as well as a hatred for uh, interest, on making interest, money lending. Are we, he continues, are we witnessing the beginning slide into our dark ages? No, we witnessed that in about 1880, when the Kantian intellectuals took over our universities and the Sherman Antitrust Act was passed. Uh, we are witnessing the continuation of a slide into dark ages, but it doesn't have to come. And once the objectivist philosophy is out there, it's going to be really difficult for the world to go into a dark ages. So I'm, I'm not pessimistic. I'm not real optimistic, but I've seen in my lifetime, a long lifetime of inobjectivism, 60 years of over-optimism and over-pessimism. When I first read Atlas Shrugged, I thought, well, this will take about three years, and then this will be the philosophy of the country. And then by, that was in 1962, 63. By 1969, when in the midst of the new left rebellion, when they were blowing up buildings because they were banks, uh, I thought, we're, this country's not going to last. It's going to be dictatorship before two more elections are over. It's, it can't survive. And it can and has because there are better elements and the better the evil is impotent. Why is the Ukraine winning against Russia? Maybe it's not totally winning, but it's certainly holding its own. And there's some things that it's advancing on because Russia is a dictatorship because Putin is a killer. So who wants to go to Putin with bad news? No, our army is not in as good shape as you've been led to believe. The messenger is killed that Putin wants to live contradictions. Every dictator does. So it's not efficient to live in a di dictatorship. It's stupid. 
It's the reign of dishonesty, evasion, lies, and stupidity. So the less dictatorial, less statist countries will always be technologically and militarily superior to the dictatorships. His next question. Ayn Rand approached causality as, quote, entity acting according to its nature. In contrast to the traditional, quote, one event causes another. Please suggest the readings where this traditional approach is surveyed. You know, I misinterpreted the question the first two times I've read it. You're calling the traditional approach the event-to-event theory. In my mind, the traditional approach is the Greek theory. My tradition is older than that, older than the Renaissance view. But I think the question is, please suggest readings where this traditional one event causes another is surveyed. I would go right to the source and read David Hume and read him on necessity. He begins with the idea that events are loose and disconnected and everything is from an event perspective. Uh, but when you say this traditional approach is surveyed, you're suggesting a secondary source. And you probably, since you asked the question, already know one secondary source, Wilhelm Windelmann, that's both with W's, we would say Wilhelm Windelmann, but it's Wilhelm Windelmann in German. He wrote um, a history of philosophy um, that is issue-oriented rather than people-oriented. And in there, you can find a statement on causality about the change from the Greek view to the modern motion-oriented view. And he ascribes it to Galileo, but I don't think that's fair. The Galileo got it from Telesio and Campanella, T-E-L-E-S-I-O, and Campanella, like Roy Campanella, well, you're too young to know him, caught, he was a catcher for the Brooklyn Dodgers, C-A-M-P-A-N-E-L-L-A, two Italians who uh, were instrumental in moving us away from the correct Aristotelian and objectivist now view towards the event to event view. There's also a um, <clears throat> lecture by Mike Mazza, who's uh, one of my colleagues on this um, event to event theory versus the entity theory. And it was at the objectivist conference for the summer of 2021. I'm pretty sure you can look on the Ayn Rand Institute website, aynrandinstitute.org. I think aynrandinstitute.com will also take you there. It's officially it's .org. So I think causality is one area where more work needs to be done. And I've done some of it. And I may be doing more soon. Let me just give 
a little content to this for those who are not familiar. The entity acts according to its nature view is the reason why an acorn grows up to be an oak, but an almond, which is also a seed, does it grows up to something else, is what constitutes the acorn. It's the attributes of the acorn. They have the potentialities to grow in certain directions and in, as we now know, to uh, apply certain genetic programming. There's genetic programming is different. Their DNA is different from that of other things. So the entity, coming back to the DNA molecule inside the nucleus, dictates the action uh, when the thing interacts with the world. Objectivists say that only individual human beings have a right to life. Would it follow that Siamese twins don't have a right to life? No. That gets into the next question that I think we'll postpone for the next meeting. The question is asked, can you provide concretized examples of subjectivism, skepticism, and empiricism, on the one hand, versus intrinsicism, mysticism, and rationalism on the other? Yeah, and this is rationalism. This is taking a concept, only individual human beings have a right, and disregarding the facts that give rise to it and trying to say, well, here there are two human beings, so they don't have a right to life. If they're two, I don't know in the exact, I guess it differs with the twins, but let's say they're joined at the hip. There are two minds, two brains, two individuals, and each has a right to his life. It's just that they're attached to each other. If there's only one mind, then it's an individual. You know, if you, there have been some where the brains are attached. Horrible things. And if it's one individual, then that individual has rights. So there's no problem. This is a rationalistic construct. Uh, next question. Alan Greenspan famously stated that there was a, quote, flaw in his ideology. Bef and now this should be, he stated before Henry Waxman's Congressional Committee that there was a flaw. Did you know what he was referring to? Yes. Can you comment on Dr. Greenspan generally with great distaste? I considered Alan Greenspan no good from 1969. Me and, a, and another friend who was an economist thought he's no objectivist. At that point, he was an elected head of the um, Bureau, uh, National Bureau of Business Economists, a uh, uh, leading business economist association, very prestigious position. And he was supposedly an objectivist. He gave a speech, which was reprinted as an editorial on the front page of Barron's Weekly, financial uh, periodical. 
And all he had to say is there are fiscal constituencies now. Congressmen vote their money constituency, not their population consistency. Uh, uh, not consistency, constituency. So they're loyal to the people who fund their reelection campaigns, not to the people. Well, so what? Here you are with a chance to talk about capitalism and we're all being crushed by controls and the answers to realize that capitalism is the expression of the right of the individual to his own life. Read Ayn Rand and you say, well, people are, respond are responding to congressmen or more interested in their reelection funds than in the people's vote. I considered that a sellout. Well, it was nothing compared to the later sellouts when he was playing golf with Teddy Kennedy and palling it up. You remember, you probably don't, there was a State of the Union uh, address given by President Clinton. Alan Greenspan was seated next to Hillary Clinton. Bill Clinton made some statement to the effect of, and we're going to bring in universal medical care, whatever they called it, you know, socialized medicine, but they don't use that term. Uh, what it, we now have, we're going to bring in socialized medicine. And he got a standing ovation, including from Alan Greenspan. Now, this is a guy who was personal good friends with Ayn Rand. So he is a total Robert Stadler type, if you have read Atlas Shrugged. He's a monumental sellout. Incidentally, I know a lot of people fault him because he took the job on the federal as head of the Federal Reserve. I don't. I think he did a terrible job. I think he was responsible for the home, uh, the housing crisis, uh, you know, the Great Recession, they call it. But I'm not an economist. I'm just saying morally, if you take that job in order to minimize the damage, I don't see that that's wrong. And I'm sure that's what he wanted to do, but he didn't do it. But the other things that he has done, including this ultimate betrayal where he said Ayn Rand was wrong after the housing crisis that he caused. Um, what did he, what was he referring to? He was referring to the objectivist idea that he himself wrote on in the objectivist newsletter that it's in the self-interest of market participants to be honest and establish a reputation for honesty. He said he thought that the market would be self-protecting in that way. Now he sees that self-interest is not such a great thing. He thought that selfish greed, as it correctly thought, selfish greed makes businessmen, you know, makes sounds like coercive, leads businessmen, if they recognize where their interests are and where their money comes from, to be square shooters 
to make the world a better place and to establish a reputation for creating value and trading fairly. That's how you get ahead. <clears throat> he said that was wrong. He learned better. Well, we learned better about Alan Greenstein before that. He was a power luster. Or so is he still alive, uh, I'm pretty sure. So I have contempt for him and uh, always have. I mean, I met him several, you know, a couple of times, two or three times. I was at a party at Ayn Rand's with him. I thought he was phony at that party. I mean, personally phony. Couldn't be sure, but um, I won't go into that. Uh, so it took a long time for everybody to see it, but I saw it early. Let's take one more. All right. Since most of the attacks that are unleashed against capitalism are fallacious, well, that's not correct. All of the attacks that are unleashed against capitalism are fallacious. How come they are still prevalent? In other words, what is the relationship between economics and epistemology? That that's follow-up is is not a bad thing to explore, but the real relationship is through Jesus. It's what I talked about earlier. People are convinced that money-making is evil, selfishness is evil. At least it's low and kind of icky compared to, say, Mother Teresa. Now, that's virtue. Jesus, Jesus didn't get rich. He suffered and died. Go thou and do likewise. So it's because capitalism is based on selfishness that no amount of economic refutation sticks. And it makes sense. People think in terms of fundamentals and their view, distorted as it is, of their view of the right, if it's wrong, it's going to lead to trouble. If it's morally wrong, it's going to blow up in some way. People still believe that. Like I said, you know, that the dictatorship is morally wrong and therefore it's weak. Part of them expects bad practical consequences because it's immoral. To some extent, you know, to a shocking extent today, they don't want wealth. What is the environmental movement? What is the climate change movement? Get beyond the excuses, oh, we're fouling our nest. Really? I don't see any foul. Well, the, the, there's going to be uh, seawater is going to rise up. Yeah, that sounded pretty good in 1988 when you said it the first time. I don't see it. Well, you just you haven't waited long enough. Yeah, that's what they said about communism. It'll pass us all. You just haven't waited long enough. Ayn Rand's analysis was the environmental movement comes from realizing that communism, socialism cannot produce. So when they were faced with the awareness, 
that capitalism produces wealth and socialism and communism destroy wealth, they decided it's better to be poor. So to a shocking degree, they will tell you, tell you, yeah, capitalism raises the standard of living, but we shouldn't live that way. I read a, a column in the Naples Daily News. I live in Naples, Florida. The other day, that's by a guy who admires some Indian, who American, you know, Native American, they call him, American Indian, who lived in the uh, 1930s, I believe, some considerable time ago, and said, this drive for material things is wrong. We should live in harmony with our environment and presumably die at age 30 or maybe in childhood diseases. So they used to say, I know I'm repeating, but I just want to package it. They used to say Marxism will make you rich. Now they say it's better not to be rich. So with that, I will put off till the next time a, several questions which are all about the theories of epistemology. And we're going to have a session on the five schools of epistemology. All of them fall, fall into five categories. What are they? What do they mean? What do they mean to you? See you next week.